On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the guidance from CMS on May 1st related to expiration of the public health emergency and changes to the vaccine mandate. We remind our listeners about the upcoming ASC quality reporting deadline in May. And in our focus segment, we discuss the evolving impact of technology on financial management and fintech with our friends at Trivalence. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We'd like to thank our sponsor of this episode, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. For more information about Trivalence, visit their website at trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. Welcome to episode 186 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for May 2nd, 2023. We're recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Operations Manager for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. We would like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape, and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of the recording. As such, it's important to recognize that this information may be subject to change, and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by their relevant regulatory bodies. And joining me today is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and one of the most respected experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. With over 30 years of experience, Mr. Gailey has authored over 10 books on the ASC industry and is a sought-after speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So our disclaimer there about um, reminding our listeners that uh, they, they need to check the regulations uh, mm-hmm. in between episodes here is probably more extremely important uh, given the topic we're talking about today. So, yes. Sue, we were uh, delivering uh, Rosie's last puppy. We had one yeah. puppy left. And it was about a seven-hour round trip. And during mm-hmm. that time, uh, the news broke of the new quality, uh, safety, and uh, oversight guidance memo that, uh, that was issued on May 1st related to the guidance for the expiration of the public health emergency. So mm-hmm. as we've talked about before and what we've kind of mentioned quite a bit in, in our conferences is that when CMS decided to require uh, all healthcare providers to be vaccinated against COVID-19, they built it actually in the mm-hmm. Medicare regulations, which means that, uh, you know, they revise the infection control section of those regulations, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a permanent thing. Yeah, it's usually kind of set in stone. So right, we right. really it, thought it might never go away. Right. And, and we knew that something was going to have to happen here, mm-hmm. but we're not quite sure how they're going to do it. Yes. Uh, and this uh, QSO, uh, QSO standing for Quality Safety Oversight 
uh, memo uh, is the first step in CMS trying to reverse those regulations. So, you know, it's going to result in some confusion until the interpretive guidelines come out that mm-hmm. will uh, help us to understand how those changes have occurred. Yeah. And we have to remember also that state regulations, if they are stricter, will supersede the, supersede the federal regulation. Mm-hmm. So it's important for you to keep an eye out uh, since many of these states are changing their regulations. For example, um, you know, 10 minutes before I... I recorded this episode. I checked to I checked a bunch of states to see mm-hmm. where they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, New York and New Jersey it's still in place. Massachusetts it looks like it's removed. You know, California as best I can tell it's been removed. Uh, but you've got to stay on top of these things because uh, you know uh, just because the federal regulation is disappearing doesn't mean the state regulations won't uh, you know will will disappear. Though mm-hmm. I suspect that they will. I think eventually they'll follow suit. But exactly. until they do, you have to always always the most stringent regulations. Right and. And, and, of course, read the nuances of it, too, because that's what's very confusing here. Mm-hmm. So uh, so what we're talking about is the Quality Safety and Oversight Memo, QSO 23-13-ALL. And it's entitled Guidance for the Expiration of the COVID-19 Public Health Emergency. And we'll provide a link to uh, this information in the show notes here. So just a little bit of a background. The Social Security Act Section 1135, 1135 waiver, emergency waiver for healthcare providers, uh, will terminate uh, with the end of the COVID-19 public health emergency on May 11th, 2023. So we're recording here on May 2nd. This QSO came out yesterday, May 1st. And we know that um, in approximately nine days, um, the uh, the public health emergency, unless something changes, the, mm-hmm. will, the public health emergency will change. And certain regulations or other policies, including the interim final rules uh, with comments, are going to be modified with the ending of the public health emergency. And certain policies, such as the acute hospital at home initiative and telehealth flexibilities, have been extended by Congress through December 31st, 2024. Uh, but now we're, we want to talk about what's going on in the ambulatory uh, surgery area. And again, a little bit more of a background. November 2021, CMS issued an interim final rule. Isn't it interesting how we got all these confusing mm-hmm. terminologies like interim final rules? Mm-hmm. Uh, CMS 3415 IFC, which required Medicare and Medicaid certified providers and suppliers to ensure that their staff were fully vaccinated against COVID-19, uh, i.e. to uh, to you know obtain the primary vaccination series, which was a critical step. Uh, to protect patients. And on April 10th, the president signed legislation that ended the COVID-19 national emergency effective May 11, 2023. Uh, in light of these developments and comments that CMS has received related to the interim uh, final rule, CMS will soon end. So this is the big news. CMS will soon end the requirement that covered providers and suppliers establish policies and procedures for staff vaccination. And in my notes here, this is bulleted or mm-hmm. is, uh, is bolded. CMS will share more details regarding ending this requirement at, at the anticipated end of the public health emergency. So within the next uh, nine days, we should get additional information. And, of course, we will pass that on to you with a, uh, an episode as soon as we get that information. And CMS in the QSO did remind everybody that um, that the strongest protection from COVID-19 is the vaccine. Therefore, CMS encourages everyone to stay up to date with the COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, so the problem is we really don't know how to implement this, what exactly everybody's supposed to do. Right. It's just, it sounds like good news. We're heading in the right direction, but it's we have real no real definite answers right now on how to proceed with this. Right, and as we're sitting here on May 2nd, 
um, you know, waiting for the May 11th expiration and waiting for additional guidance. You mm-hmm. know, don't change your policies yet. Uh, certainly don't start, you know, hiring people that have, are not vaccinated. But you, we can anticipate that this is going to happen and you can start, you know, uh, um, considering how that's going to change your policies, your uh, your recruitment, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so what's going to happen is this is all going to result in changes to uh, 416.51, the conditions for coverage for infection control. Uh, and we're referring specifically to the uh, standard related to uh, standard C, which is related to COVID-19 vaccination of staff. And, of course, the associated interpretive guidelines. So CMS has got a lot of work to do between ni- now and the 11th to uh, to reverse this information and, and provide guidance to surveyors as they go out and do the survey. Now, the QSO also referred to a couple other things that have been included uh, in the regulations over time. One of those relates to the emergency preparedness program. And you might remember that the training and testing program exemption um, uh, was in play. In other words, if you actually implemented your emergency plan, you're exempt from doing ongoing testing of that plan for a year after the plan was implemented. And of course, now that the plan has been implemented, assuming that you did indeed implement the emergency plan, uh, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be exempt from uh, the testing, meaning that you're going to have to go back to doing external and internal disaster drills. Uh, and NCMS says providers and suppliers are expected to return to normal operating status and comply with the regulatory requirements for emergency preparedness with the conclusion of the public health emergency. And this includes conducting testing exercises based on the regulatory requirements for the specific provider types. And when it comes to outpatient providers, that means that the provider supplier must conduct either a full-scale exercise or an exercise of choice within its annual cycle for 2023, if scheduled to conduct a full-scale exercise within 2023. And the provider supplier must conduct the exercise of choice if scheduled during the annual cycle for 2023 and and resume the full-scale exercise requirement in 2024. So basically, we're going back to, um, you know, what the regulations stated uh, uh, right in the conditions for coverage. Mm -hmm. Now, in this QSO, they also uh, talked about the temporary hospital conversion. Um, Many of those temporary hospitals have now converted back to ASCs. So just to remind everybody, CMS allowed currently enrolled ASCs to temporarily enroll as hospitals and provide hospital services to help address the urgent need to increase hospital capacity to take care of patients during the the public health emergency during the COVID crisis. As of December 1st, 2021, no new ASCs uh, were allowed to enroll as hospitals. Have you seen any numbers on how many did that? No. Couldn't have been too many. No, and I think we did an interview with Bill Prentice. Mm -hmm. Where he talked about it, but I, I'm, we're not talking about you know hundreds of places. I, I think, think I think it's less than a hundred mm-hmm. uh, did convert. So uh, the QSO does refer uh, you to go back to uh, QSO twenty two zero three for more information. But ASCs must decide either to meet the certification for hospital, in other words, convert uh, to a hospital permanently, or to return to ASC status when the public health emergency ends. If they choose. To return to the ASC status, they can only be paid under the ASC payment system mm-hmm. for services under the ASC covered pay- procedures list. So, as we mentioned, you can convert back to an ASC. So, what, basically what they're saying is that you'd have a voluntary termination of the ASC's temporary hospital status. 
and the temporarily enrolled hospital must submit a notification of intent to convert back to an ASC to the applicable uh, CMS survey and operations group, in other words, your local uh, CMS group, on or before the conclusion of the public health emergency. So you have until May 11, 2023 to email or send a mailed letter to your local CMS office to convert back to the ASC. If you do decide to convert to a hospital, I can't imagine many ASCs doing no, this. But can't if you be do, a simple process. No, no, not at all. And actually, it does talk about what the mm-hmm. process is. So the conversion to the hospital, if the ASC wishes to participate as a hospital, it must undergo the hospital enrollment process by submitting a form CMS 855A, unlike the 855B <laughs> that we use for ASCs, to begin the process of enrollment and initial certification as a hospital on or before the conclusion of the public health emergency on May 11th. An initial certification hospital survey, either done by the state agency or by by an accreditation organization, will be conducted to determine compliance with all applicable hospital conditions for participation before CMS issues a final determination letter for Medicare participation. So similar to how ASCs become certified, if you decide to convert to a hospital, you're going to have to go through uh, all of those uh, conditions for participation and meet all of those prior to becoming permanently certified as a hospital. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, obviously, the hospital conditions for participation are much more complex. The surgery regulations are more complex than the surgery regulations within the conditions for participation. But as a hospital, you've got far more regulations that you have to deal with, including, you know, having things like social, you know, work departments, et cetera. Mm Uh, Also, another interesting thing that we have to remember is anesthesia services are going to change. So 482.52 waived requirements that a CRNA is under the supervision of a physician, and the waiver of this requirement ends with the conclusion of the public health emergency. However, this doesn't change those existing regulations that allowed ASCs in states where the uh, governor has allowed uh, an exemption to the physician mm-hmm. supervis- uh, supervision requirements. So if you're in a state that is in that situation, you are allowed to continue uh, not having a physician oversee, but otherwise you're going to go back to requiring the physician to oversee that CRNA. Now, uh, Sue, in preparation for this this podcast here, I did try to look up uh, changes to the NHS and COVID-19 reporting requirements. Mm-hmm. And as of the recording, uh, which is, what is it, 530 t- uh, today, uh, I don't have any update on that. I am going to provide a link to where any updates will be on the NHSF on, on the NHSN website. Uh, so I would encourage you to kind of look at that on a regular basis just to make sure that you're revising your reporting uh, to take into consideration the new definitions of what fully vaccinated will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, if you if you didn't catch our last episode, episode 185, we did talk about uh, the changes uh, that CDC has made to those recommendations. And you need to make sure that you're up to date with the reporting requirements as they will be changing. And lastly, before we get into our focus segment, um, don't forget the ASC quality reporting requirements are, are due uh, May 15th. Uh, as you all should probably be aware, or hopefully are aware, CMS quality net reporting will be due on May 15th. The reporting is done through the HARP system, that's capital H-A-R-P system, which you should already have a username and password for. for. I'll provide a link to that in case you don't, and if you don't, we're, you're already going to have some significant problems. So you just, just a reminder, the following ASC quality indicators are due for reporting by May 15th to quality net. ASC-9, which is appropriate follow-up interval for normal colonoscopy in average risk patients. ASC-11, cataracts, improvement for patients' visual function within 90 days. And this is a voluntary. I I really don't recommend that you do this reporting. 
Um, but, you know, that's uh, voluntary for reporting mm-hmm. after cataract surgery. So, again, ASC 11 is voluntary. ASC 13 is mandatory, and that is normal thermia reporting. And ASC 14 is required also unplanned anterior vitrectomy. So ASC 9, ASC 13, and ASC 14 reporting is required by May 15th. So what if you're not a GI center? Do you still have to do anything with number nine? Yeah, it's a good question because uh, even if you don't provide, like ASC 9 is only for GI centers. Mm-hmm. ASC 14, unplanned vitrectomy, is only, only for, for eye, eye centers. centers yeah. So if you don't do any of those, you still report, you have to report zero um, okay. for for those. So good question. The following measure is also due to be reported through NHS and SAM's system for quarter four 2022, as we were just talking about, ASC 20, which is the COVID-19 vaccination coverage among healthcare personnel. And as hopefully everybody knows by now, you report that through NHS and through SAM's, uh, not through QualityNet. Just a reminder, ASCs that do not meet these program requirements, which include reporting a quality measure data for the ASC quality reporting program, may receive a 2% reduction in their ASC payment updates. So there's a significant penalty for not doing this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so te- technology has changed in the way finance works and is having a major impact on the way uh, that we do business. And it's starting to impact ASCs. FinTech is a term used to describe the intersection of financial services and technology. And it refers to the use of technology to improve and automate financial services and processes including banking, lending, investment, payments, insurance, and wealth management. So obviously, this is going to have a big impact on ASCs. FinTech includes a wide wide range of technologies such as mobile banking apps, digital wallets, peer-to-peer lending platforms, blockchain, robo-advisors, and artificial intelligence, among others, which is getting an awful lot of attention right Mm -hmm. now. And FinTech has disrupted traditional financial services by offering faster, cheaper, and more accessible financial products and services to consumers and businesses. And like many of you, I, you know, before uh, I did research on FinTech, mm-hmm. I knew nothing about it. didn't even know the term. Yep. Uh, so uh, now I know far more than I perhaps ever thought I could possibly learn about it after this interview that's coming up. FinTech is a rapidly growing uh, industry globally with significant investments being made in innovative technologies that are transforming the financial sector. So last month, we spoke to our friends at Trivalence, which is indeed a FinTech company, uh, about FinTech, and we'll have that interview after we take a short break. Do you work long hours at your ASC, ordering from multiple vendors or managing back orders? Do you manually track POs and invoices? Do you need help sifting through paper to find payment discrepancies? Most ASCs are understaffed, overworked, and wear multiple hats, which leads to burnout. Trivalence launched an intuitive procurement to payment solution that optimizes your ASC's performance and removes the frustration from daily tasks, allowing for a happier, more productive staff. The Trivalence solution streamlines the disjointed supply chain in your busy surgery center, from ordering supplies to managing your purchase orders and invoices to making payments. The platform provides a robust dashboard with actionable reporting and lets you track your spending down to the penny. Visit trivalence.com to schedule a demo or learn more about this all-in-one solution. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com.
So I'm here uh, with our, our, my friends over at Tribalance. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, uh, talking about uh, what the state of uh, transaction processing and uh, a new term, which everybody, which we're going to define in a few minutes called FinTech. So uh, uh, why don't you introduce yourselves first? All right. I could go first. Um, so my name is John Mwangi. I'm VP of uh, FinTech Strategy and Partnership here at Trivalence. John, uh, Brian Giesler. I am uh, head of uh, operations, customer success, and product management here at Trivalence. And I had the opportunity of spending about 25 years in healthcare, including around 15 running surgery centers uh, prior to joining Trivalence and pairing up with John to help solve some significant issues uh, in the fintech ASC space. Thank you so much, John and Brian, and uh, welcome to the ASC podcast. It's uh, it's great to be talking about a topic that uh, is going to probably become a lot more important. Well, definitely become a lot more important as we uh, move forward. And uh, so just following up on a conversation we had a couple months ago uh, with Trivalence regarding supply chain. Uh, so yeah. today we're going to focus a little bit more on the financing side, of the, uh, the transaction processing side, and a term that I had never heard of before I met you guys, and that's fintech. So uh, why don't we start? Why don't we just start by talking a little bit about what the current state of transaction processing, and indeed what transaction processing is in the first place? What what I think is really important for us to do is set a bit of the stage around the ASC industry um, as a lead into appreciating um, fintech. Um, across you know the U.S. as well as how it's going to pertain to the surgery center. So if I think about my personal joining, journey before joining Trivalence and running ASCs, you know there's really two critical components to to supply chain and expense management. Right, um, it's how you interact with suppliers, and I know there was a recent podcast about supply chain, but then there is the um, uh, and that's for the procurement side. The second component is once you procure products. How do you actually manage accounts payable and for them AR and how do you actually get them payment? Um, in my personal experience, um, that was managed through a lot of manual processes, whether that's paper invoices, emails, lots of manual labor to get that into some system um, that then allows you to, to choose when and how to pay suppliers. And in, traditionally in ASCs, what I was used to is that essentially means I am writing checks. No different than the checks I learned um, when I got my first bank account. And that is very different than your personal life experience, right? Where you can use very simple apps, whether that's Zelle, Vemno, Cash App, right? To pay somebody for a service. And, and one of the reasons I joined Trivalence is I what I appreciated in my prior life is the amount of manual effort, the lack of data, and the lack of real-time visibility that that process has, you know, and and fintech, which John can talk more about, um, provides a lot of tools to solve some of those common issues for surgery centers. So, John, I'd love to hand it over to you and and give a bit of a background on fintech. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we talk about the term fintech. Really, what we are talking about uh, conceptually, it's it's how we can use technology to help businesses improve how they make payments and to help um, consumers improve how they make payments and how they manage their finances. So as much as we throw around the term fintech, really at the core of it, what we are describing is how do we use technology to make our financial lives easier? Um, And one of the examples I always like to use, going back to what Brian is describing, 
we have all used fintech products. We probably just have not called them fintech products, right? So the example I'll give you, John and Brian, is every time you use one of these ride-sharing apps, whether it's Uber, whether it's Lyft, um, or whether it's some of the other apps in other parts of the world, that's actually a fintech product um, you are using, right? Um, and to use the example that Brian was giving, your expectation as a consumer when you ask for a ride-sharing app, you expect the driver to show up, you expect to be able to track your journey. You expect to get to where you're going. And at the end of that ride, you just expect to leave the car and go to your destination, right? You don't expect to have five different apps um, to track your ride or, you know, manage receives and do mapping. You expect all that to be delivered to you in a convenient package. So when we say fintech, I want you to use that as an example. If you have used a ride sharing app, that's really what we are describing. How do we use technology to make your financial life easier and more integrated? Yeah, I mean, it's a great example for me because I just came back from a trip where I used uh, uh, Lyft, in my case, uh, to uh, to go back and forth. And and the way it's set, just to kind of give an example from my own life, you know, I used the app, I paid the tip, I pressed a button, it went right into my expense report software, which then immediately went into, you know, our accounting system to be able to uh, uh, to reimburse me for uh, for that trip. So that's a great example, I think, of, of what's what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis with us. But that also raises a challenge on if you think of what you just described and you think of what Brian described. In the case of Brian, Brian had five different systems to manage all that interaction, right? So there was man one system for ordering goods. There was the same system maybe for managing receipts. But as soon as Brian got the invoice, guess what? The information that he had on one platform or two platforms did not translate to the system he was using to make payments, right? So in the case of a lot of ASCs, if you think of how you're cutting checks to your suppliers, the data you are submitting to your suppliers is very different from the data you have within the other platforms that you're using to manage your supply. So I find in our personal consumer lives, if you compare what we do with what's happening in the ASC industry, there's a little bit of a disconnect. And I think at the heart of that is the lack of data from one platform or the lack of integration of data across multiple platforms to create a consistent procurement experience in the ASC industry. So why don't we just start by actually defining uh, fintech in a very concrete way for our listeners, and then we'll talk about how, um, I, I think you talked about how it works in business in general, but maybe talk a little bit about the current state of it in healthcare and ASCs. I mean, we talked earlier, for example, about the fact that you know, in, in my business, I still get checks for the most part. I mean, we offer everything, but for the most part, I'm still getting checks. Yeah, the way I view it in the ASC industry, there's a huge disconnect, John. It, I would not say we have gotten to a place of integrated fintech platforms uh, within the healthcare industry. And when I say fintech, all I'm really describing is the use of technology to improve how ASCs manage and conduct financial transactions. That's really what, what I am describing. And the way I look at it as someone who's new to the ASC industry, I spent 20 plus years in the payments industry. And when I moved into the ASC industry, the thing that surprised me is just how systems are completely disconnected, right? In the sense that you use one system um, to catch your POs, maybe you use the same system to manage receipts. But as soon as you get invoices, when it comes to making payments, 
you're basically shifting to a different platform. So when I look at the ASA industry, the first thing that strikes me is the way systems are completely disconnected, the lack of integration across systems. The other thing that I find quite interesting is the way the payment methods currently used um, within the ASCs, whether you are cutting a check or whether you are running an ACH transaction, or even if you're paying your suppliers with a credit card, there is an absolute lack of data to inform AR transactions um, for the suppliers, right? So one of the challenges I, I see beyond the lack of integration is the lack of data to inform what payment you're making and for what purpose and for what invoices, right? Um, so the lack of data to help a supplier manage their accounts receivable operation is another gap I have seen within the payments, within the ASC industry. Um, and the third gap I have seen, John, is really the lack of transparency, right? So if you're a CFO managing um, ASC operations, one of the things I see as a gap in how we currently run operations is you may not necessarily know what you owe at any given time, and you may not truly know how much money you have in your in your in your bank account. So when it comes to having transparency of financial information to make decisions, that's a third gap I am seeing that's currently existing in the ASC industry. It seems to me that there's uh, two concerns that we probably have. One is staffing. And one is just the efficiency of that cycle. They're kind of tied together. But, you know, right now, post-pandemic and arguably even pre-pandemic, we're having a hard time finding staff for our surgery center. It's not just our nursing staff. It's not just our clinical staff, but the business office staff, too. So uh, what you've described is, is a way of perhaps reducing staff at the same time that you're improving the quality of that transaction cycle. And what I mean by that is improving the reliability of information. I, you you want to make sure that you're only paying for products that you actually ordered at a price that you agreed to and that you actually received that product. Yes, John. And, and, and what I would also add to what uh, we believe is a strong value proposition for ASCs to embrace fintech, it's hard cost and opportunity cost. You know, there are hard costs with mailing checks and the labor associated with it. Then there are a lot of opportunity costs, I think, as you're describing, right? If you can utilize fully integrated technologies that reduce hard costs, right, such as checks, and reduce the work of your staff so they can focus on other high-value efforts in the organization, there's opportunity cost there, right? So, for example... Um, if you can use a simple technology that takes only a few seconds to schedule payments and it manages getting those payments to the suppliers fully reconciled on their statements so that that, that same supplier also does not shut you off because a paper check is in the mail for two weeks and not fully reconciled. One can imagine that could free up potentially a few hours every time there's an issue with transacting business with a supplier and focus on analyzing the rich data that fintech can provide you to make better business decisions in this current environment. Um, so we also believe though those costs paired with staffing shortages, as you've pointed out, um, and just the rising cost of business that is putting margin pressures on ASCs is another reason why FinTech um, can really help the ASC industry and, and, and all industries in general. So where do you think we're heading with FinTech? And I, I do need to point out that uh, FinTech sounds like a, a trade name, and it is not. It's a term It's a term that we're using here. Uh, I believe there's actually a couple of companies out there with the name FinTech. So uh, a little bit of our caution to our listeners here that we're talking about a 
term uh, and which we have previously defined here. But you know, where are we heading? What where do you think it's going, especially in the uh, healthcare industry and specifically ASCs? So when I think of ASCs, I see us heading to a world that will have um, three characteristics, if I can call them that, right? The first characteristics is we are heading to a world where you get tools or information to make better business decisions, right? Um, tools that give you the transparency of what you owe, transparency of how much money you have, transparency of how you can actually make payments um, to run your business. So that's one characteristic of the, what the future is going to look like. The other characteristics is convenience. Convenience in the sense that you will essentially have a world where you can click on one button and your suppliers get paid irrespective of how the suppliers want to receive that transaction, right? Some may want it to be received the same day. Some may want it to schedule for a different time. Irrespective of all the options the supplier may have, for you as an ASC, you will get the convenience of essentially clicking on one button and managing payment to all your suppliers with the reconciliation data the supplier needs to run their businesses as well. The third characteristic I see for the future is control. In the sense that for you as an ASC, if you think of how you need to manage your cash flows and how you need to manage your operation, the tools available within the fintech industry will allow you to control when and how you make payments and will allow you to basically run your business in a much better way. No, John, I 100% agree. And John, I think there's a, another element of, of this that you have um, taught me really well over the last year. Um, and that is how will the data, right, in fintech, that rich data, how will that help the banking industry provide new product to the healthcare market and the ASC market, you know, and particularly new products in this interest rate constrained environment that will help ASCs, you know, grow, whether it's capital lines of financing. I think there's some significant opportunities there that, uh, John, you can speak to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because if you really think at the end of the, of the day, right, if you're a bank, your job is to manage risk. Um, and for you to manage risk, what you really need is very clear data for you to be able to understand how a business is operating. And one of the things I find within the ASC industry is the amount of data that is currently available in terms of what you're buying, what you're actually consuming within your operations and within your business, as well as how you're managing your cash flows. That is very meaningful data for the banking ecosystem because if you are to make a decision on what to extend John's ASC in terms of whether it's working capital financing or other type of lending products, that type of data just based on your daily operations for you as an ASC can actually help a bank create a product that's very specific and you know made for you in a way that you're actually not paying extremely high interest rates. Because if you think of what informs a rate that you're getting from a banking institution, a lot of the times it's really based on what they know about you, right? So the more they know about you, the more they have visibility into your operations, the more they have clarity into how you're managing your AP, the better they can they can be able to work with you to refine your operations, to refine the type, the type of lending products they extend to you. And the fact that we can create a way to make that data available to the banking ecosystem without you needing to open up your platforms uh, as an ASC is a tool that I think will be extremely important in how the banking world and the ASCs of the future work together, right? So I do think um, to the point my colleague is making, just the ability for us to create a pipe that allows communication between the banking world in the US 
and the ASCs in the UL, in the US for banking world to appreciate and understand the data being used to manage ASC operation will help us introduce products that make it easier for you as an ASC administrator to run your business. And the bottom line, it will actually save you money. So just to make that clear, because that, that's a great example or a great, uh, great insight there is that right now, those systems are completely separate. You purchase a product, you write a check, you send it off. Uh, in the meantime, you're maintaining a bank account, you're reconciling the bank account. You might end up the, at the end of the month needing to borrow money. So you go out on a line of credit or you go back and borrow money from, or not borrow money, but you, you get the doctors to uh, fork in some more money if uh, the bank's not going to extend you credit. Maybe you're you know, a brand new facility or people are using their own credit cards or you have a company credit card. And think about the complexity there of all of those different systems that you're using in order to 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 pay for product, but they're not at all integrated and requires an enormous amount of time for you to uh, to reconcile. Yeah, that's precisely, and, and I can give you an example from my prior life where I think fintech will enormous benefits. Right, there are those occasional situations where you need a quick working line of capital, you know, a bridge loan, for example, whether it's a piece of equipment. Because uh, your claims are on delay or something of those, uh, something along those lines, you know. Traditionally, right? You you just reach out to the banks you know, um, because it is a process. It takes time and effort to actually fill out the 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 applications, etc. If you think about in your personal uh, life, you can go to the likes of uh, websites like Lending Club, etc. Right, and you can quickly get five, six, seven options back pretty quickly because they have your FICO score, for example. You know, I, I can imagine a, a future where if I was an AC operator in that situation, almost like my personal life, I would immediately get access to multiple offers, right, that really helped me identify the exact product for that need at that moment, almost real time, compared to hoping I have the right Rolodex of banks to call and the time to fill out application. I feel like that for an ASC operator can be a game changer in those situations where they just need some bridge capital. And especially the fact that as an ASC operator, you don't actually have to manage all those relationships. You have a partner who understands the ASC industry and is willing to manage those relationships on your behalf. Um, to me, is a game changer, right? I mean, unfortunately, we also what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. Imagine if you're an ASC and the only relationship you had was with Silicon Valley Bank, right? Um, but to my colleague's point, if you have a partner who has a network of banking partners that can create a resiliency to the ecosystem. So even if one banking partner moves out, you're not actually concerned as an ASC administrator because the bridge line of financing that you need will always be guaranteed given the pool of lending partners that are available, I think is very, very important. Sure, I'm going to give you an example of something that just happened yesterday with one of our clients, and maybe you can describe how uh, FinTech could have helped this situation. So I get a phone call at uh, eight o'clock in the morning saying that their um, defibrillator failed its test uh, and they had no backup defibrillator, no AED. And uh, the first question uh, that was asked of me was, can I still do surgery? And of course, my first answer was, no, you've got to stop immediately. Uh, and by the way, this was a GI center. So all of those patients uh, had already prepped for the procedure. And just imagine, just and now imagine that uh, you don't have enough money in the bank for whatever you know for for the dollar amount of that of that transaction that you're going to have. Let alone the the issue of trying to find a defibrillator very quickly. I, I'm I'm just kind of putting you on the spot here. Can you kind of discuss using that as an example as to as to how much easier uh, it would be to solve that problem in the world that you're describing here? 
Yeah. And I'll use the lens of a finance uh, person. And then I will ask my colleague to use the lens of an administrator. Because in my scenario, when I look at that, uh, at that example you just gave, John, imagine a world where you are able as the particular customer you're describing to order a defibrillator that comes in maybe that afternoon or the next day with a guaranteed line of credit to that supplier just for that piece of equipment, not necessarily you opening you know, a relationship with a bank for, for monthly line of credit. But imagine if you had an extended line of credit just to buy the piece of equipment you need for that particular use case and the ability, let's say, to expedite shipping with some of the supplier partners that we have. And then as you're doing the surgeries and as you actually get money coming into your ASC, then you can pay off the piece of equipment as you need to. Imagine if you had that flexibility within within your ASC world. And what I would add to that um, is if you think about the comments you made, John, around identifying a defibrillator, even finding somebody, right? right? You may have established supply relationships with lines of credit, but in the event that the only way you can get the defibrillator is some vendor you've never worked with that requires you to go through a typical credit process because defibrillators are a dollar value that requires that. Imagine in our world, in a fintech world, where you essentially can do COD, right? Because you're using a lending product to get cash and immediately pay for it and bypass that credit process with a new vendor and getting what you need, that defibrillator, shipped immediately and available um, so that you can take care of your patients. So, I think there's a lot of real world examples in which having access to real time capital and cash in a pinch like that can solve your problems. I want to go back to a comment that was made and, and kind of just float off your tongues, but we didn't talk about it. And that is uh, the, the question that all of the owners of these surgery centers are going to ask is, is this going to save me money? And if if so, how? So let me let me say this. What I, what I would say as an administrator um, if I think about examples of buying new pieces of equipment, right, whether it be a C-arm or some image-guided system for your ENT cases that are a few hundred thousand dollars, often you are going to be buying that on some type of financing program, often financed uh, through relationships with whoever the capital organization is selling that to you. In that specific example, having the data that my colleague has described to use to identify other funding sources with the best rate will absolutely give you opportunities to save money. Or if if money is not the issue, also help you find the right terms for cash flow, right? Whether it's, you know, financing over three years and five years, because cash flow um, is more important than the total cost of acquisition. What it will do is give you all of the options, right? In that example, acquiring capital to make the best business decision. Again, whether that's cash flow management or it's cost savings. But but I'm pretty confident. Say the rich data will help, as John, my colleague, will describe the banking industry provide you savings opportunities. Yeah, and to my colleague's point, if you think about it, right, there are three ways it can actually save you money, right? One is the better data will always result into better rates, right? The more I know about you, the more I can calculate risk, the better terms I can give you. That's one. The second one is also the fact that we are working with multiple partners. And in a sense, if you're in the lending business, they almost have to compete for your business in a way, right? Because if you have one banking partner versus, let's call it 50 banking partners competing for your business, the more competition you have, the better it will be for ASC owners. And the third one is what my colleague described in terms of all the efficiencies 
uh, all the way from procurement to you actually making the payment, all those efficiencies do actually result in hard dollars in your pocket at the end of the day, right? So the the quality of the data will result in better rates, which is one way we'll save you money. The fact that we are working with multiple partners will save you more money due to the fact that they'll have to compete for your business. And all the efficiencies we are introducing from supply chain to payment will save you hard dollars as an ASC owner. So uh, I'm going to look at you, Brian. You you were an administrator. Uh, I, I'll also point out that I've, uh, up until today, we're recording about noon today. I think I've spent my entire morning uh, on uh, at least 15 different websites managing my own business, not even an ASC, not even as complicated as an ASC, going into my bank transaction, my payroll, my, uh, you know, I had to purchase some items today. Uh, I had to interact with my employees in a couple different platforms. Describe the day of a, of the typical administrator and what we're talking about. How How is the typical administrator's day going to change if they're able to uh, adopt this new technology? Uh, great question, John. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe uh, something I've described to my colleague, John, here several times. I had a particular surgery center on the West Coast that every Friday, for example, I would sit in a conference room for about four hours with my finance team and payables team uh, with a printout from our accounting system of our, um, our current liabilities, as well as a printout of information from our bank accounts in terms of uh, what's our bank balance and a checking account and other other assets we had. And then another printout, which is expected cash flows for revenue, right? And so for four hours, I'd be looking all that and trying to prioritize, right? Who do I want to pay so I can continue to keep getting supplies, try to take advantage of payment terms, right? Which vendors perhaps will give me discounts, which ones will charge me from late. Um, and also try to balance entire cash flow to ensure that my physicians were getting distributions timely to stay engaged with the business, which is critical, right? Four hours every Friday. What this should do is take that four hours and allow you to make real-time decisions, ideally daily, 10 minutes every day. At best, you have all the data, right, exposed seamlessly, uh, allow you to make those business decisions that will accomplish that goal, right? How to pay your suppliers uh, within the context of how you want to manage your cash flow and manage your business so your physicians are getting the distributions and are engaged uh, with your business so it will thrive. So can you give some examples of existing uh, fintech applications that are already out there? Uh, one comes to mind for me actually is uh, is Amazon. I think we talked about this a couple you know weeks ago. Great for ordering office supplies and things like that, but not so great when it comes to the medical field. But it is an example of of one uh, solution out there that that definitely has revolutionized the, uh, the procurement process. So, and that's the challenge, John. Right? And we don't have very good examples within yeah. the healthcare industry that we can point to. So we end. We end up pointing to examples from the consumer world, right? And another example I will give you, similar to what my colleague described, is a product like Mint.com, you know, that gives you a view into liabilities as well as money you have for your own personal life. So if you think of the four hours that my colleague had to spend every Friday morning in terms of thinking through how much money they have, who they owe, and what payments they need to make. For your personal life, you have a product like Mint.com that's able to give you visibility into all of that, right? When it comes to payments, you have products like Apple Pay, you have products uh, like, like Google Pay as an example, that are essentially making it easy for you to pay merchants, whether they're 
online merchants or physical merchants uh, across the globe. Um, so when I think of the challenges we are facing within the healthcare industry is how do we make these concepts that have worked so well in the consumer fintech world and start introducing them to the products that are critical to how we run our healthcare operations within the ASC world. So unfortunately, I can't give you examples um, within the, the ASC healthcare world except for one, which is Trivalence. Other than that, I have not seen any other company that's attempted to do what we are doing. My point being, of course, is you're exactly right, is that why can't we have in business the same type of solutions that we have in our daily life? Uh, I, I keep you know, complaining about the fact that every time that I go to the Amazon site, I make one particular individual a lot richer. And, and I'm happy to pay for it because it does make my life so much simpler. So thankfully, and thanks for our sponsor, Trivalence, there is a solution out there. So uh, why don't you tell us what that solution is? Similar to your Amazon experience, John, and I understand not wanting to make individuals wealthier, but similar to your Amazon experience with Trivalence, you can actually order from all your suppliers from one location, right? Um, you can also um, get the visibility that I described that was similar to Mint.com in terms of what you owe your suppliers and how much money you have in your bank account. And we can give, and give you visibility into what you owe per supplier if you want, right? So you get a dashboard that looks and feels very similar to what you'd get with mint.com with enough information for you to be able to make financial decisions um, for, your, for your company, right? The other thing you get from us is you get a one-click payment uh, button that allows you to pay your suppliers without you needing to remember who, who accepts check or who wants what type of payment. So think of it as we're essentially moving away the complexity of you having to spend four hours every Friday morning trying to figure out how you're going to pay suppliers. And we give you visibility into how much money you have and how much you owe suppliers with one click button for you to actually be able to make all your payments as well. Um, and soon, as we mentioned, we'll be introducing our ability for you to be to make payments, not just based on money you have in your account, but also money you're getting from some of our lending partners as well. John, and, and that's an incredible description of our product. And I think one of the other values that our solution provides to our customers, um, and, and this is similar to your own personal life, the deep integrations that we're building. So you can seamlessly integrate to all, you know, close to 30,000 banks in the United States uh, we can integrate with your accounting platforms. Um, if you think about in your personal life, the term onboarding or implementation, right, that doesn't exist. If you go to mint.com, for example, you you literally sign up for mint.com and then you provide your credentials for all your banking institution and mint.com does the rest of the work for you. The platform we've developed has the same philosophy with our integrations, um, so you really get that seamless experience, but you get the same experiences you'd have in your consumer life, right? No lengthy implementation, really simple way to integrate with all the data points you need to get what John described. And I think that is a key differentiator. And I think that's really important in the ASC market that's constrained for resources and many are also uh, technology burnt out. How do you make it simple for them? And that is also what we're trying to bring to the market, a simple way to accomplish what my colleague John has, has described. And I believe you have an offer for our listeners. do, John. We have three levels of our product, but um, the product that we'd love to have your listeners take a look at is our professional product, which is a, a free product as a starting um, solution to ASCs that 
you know, are, are mostly paper-based or, uh, or would like to um, start with basic supplier and fintech capabilities, you know, to enter this market. And uh, you can go right onto our website, sign up for that, and we can onboard you, enroll you, and get you started with basic functionality and one-touch payment. Um, within a few weeks. And we'll provide a link to that. And I did want to emphasize the word free. Uh, there are upgraded versions. There's different versions, just like you uh, you could have with, uh, you know, say Amazon again, but your base product is free. And, uh, and you know, once you try it out, you can see uh, see this in action. And as you said, the uh, there really isn't too much to the onboarding product, any, any more than uh, going to uh, the Walmart or the uh, the Amazon websites and, and looking around and then uh, interacting with the website. That's about it. It's it's a probably 15 to 20 minutes of time of getting the data um, and then uh, regular touch points over the course of those two, two or three weeks that take no more than 30 minutes and you're live and using the product. It's incredible. It's a great experience. Brian and John, I want to thank you. This was a, a great uh, conversation. I, I know that most of our listeners are probably never even heard of the term fintech and you did a great job of describing what it is. And, and I hope we got the message across that it can... Uh, save you money, save you time, and uh, provide a safer platform for making sure that uh, we're only uh, paying for the products that we uh, actually ordered and and actually received, as well as making our lives easier and and uh, reducing the amount of uh, complexity in our, our payment systems, procurement and payment systems. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. So the ASCA 2023 Conference and Expo is coming up May 17th through the 20th, 2023, at the Kentucky International Convention Center in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Sue, we're coming with a pretty large contingent, mm-hmm. I think, between 9 and 10 people from uh, so. uh, Amateur Healthcare Strategies mm-hmm. and, of course, the entire team from the uh, the podcast here. We're going to be doing a couple episodes, we anticipate, during the uh, the conference. We always have fun getting together and uh and, and talking about things going on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're able to get them out actually during the conference, and sometimes we have to wait until afterwards. But uh, expect a wonderful time there, and I think there's still time to sign up for the conference, so it's uh, getting pretty close uh, at this point. And, Sue, you and I are actually deciding to drive to, uh, to Louisville, mm-hmm. so that should be a fun 13-hour <laughs> drive. But uh, looking forward to seeing yeah. all of you there, and uh, certainly as you see us during the conference, uh, uh, step up to us and, uh, and uh, introduce yourself. We'd love to hear from you. And the Arizona Ambulatory Surgery Centers Association's annual conference and exhibits is June 22nd to the 23rd, 2023 at the JW Marriott Camelback Inn Resort and Spa in Scottsdale, Arizona. And the Florida Society of Ambulatory Surgical Centers annual conference and trade show is July 19th through 21st at the Lowe's Portofino Bay Hotel Universal Orlando. The Ohio Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers annual education conference and exhibition is September 19th through the 20th at the Hilton Polaris in Columbus, Ohio. And we, of course, will be there in force, and we'll be doing a special episode from there also. And the Idaho Ambulatory Surgery Association's annual conference is September 21st to the 22nd at the Hilton Garden Inn in Boise, downtown. And don't forget about our upcoming boot camps. As we mentioned, the May Director of Nursing Boot Camp will be May 30th 
through June 2nd, 2023, presented virtually. And of course, our, all of our boot camps include much more than just that four-day conference, including uh, an access to access to a lot of resources, weekly drop-in sessions, et cetera. And uh, the multi-state conference is June 12th and 13th, 2023. It's free to members of various state associations and patron members. And it's a very reasonable $299.99 for anybody that uh, is not a member. And the July Administrators Boot Camp is July 11th through 14th, 2023, presented virtually also. And the August Business Office Manager Boot Camp is going to be August 8th through the 11th, 2023. For information about any of these boot camps in our multi-state conference, visit us at ASCPodcast.com. And also, don't forget about our recorded events. They're all available on ASCPodcast.com. We have a credentialing conference, the Fall 2022 Finance and Accounting Conference, Conditions for Coverage Conference, the Medical Director Conference, and an, the On-Demand Director of Nursing and Administrator Boot Camps. And we always want to remind you to become a patron member of the ASC Podcast. It is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance, operations, and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. And resources include some of our virtual conferences, links to various resources, policies and procedures, forms, drills, and discounts on services and books, and access to AEU credits. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including our research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. And for more information, you can visit us at ASCPodcast.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. We hope you found the discussion informative and engaging. If you did, we encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues in the ASC industry. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'd like to give a special shout out to our amazing team who make this podcast possible. Our sound editor, Susan Cronkite, our executive producer, John Gailey, and our dedicated research team, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calaritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Foti, Donna Macchio, Ann Geyer, and Diana Powell. We couldn't do it without them. Our music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast platforms. We look forward to bringing you more exciting discussions and insights in future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights. For more information about Trivalence, visit their website at trivalence.com. That's T-R-I-V-A-L-E-N-C-E.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.